Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not bear down, beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those who are visiting, my name's Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to uh, worship with you today, walk through another parable of Jesus with you today. Before we dive into this passage, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me to begin by asking you this question. Have you ever been tempted to lose heart? Have you ever been tempted to lose heart? The following story, One Fellowship, is a true story. Imagine being a 19-year-old single woman and losing the primary father figure in your life. The man who raised you, encouraged you, championed you, and yes, even corrected you out of, out of an abundance of love. Imagine losing that man. Well, that was the case with Chastity Patterson, an Arkansas woman back in 2015. Having lost her primary father figure that year, the young woman, devastated, did the only thing she'd grown accustomed to doing. She continued texting the man she affectionately knew as her dad. Hey, dad, it's me, Chastity would write. Tomorrow's gonna be a good day or a tough day. And then she'd share all about her highs and her lows, including updates on her relationships, her struggles, her accomplishments, and her overall well-being. Over the years, she even shared about getting into college and then graduating from college. And she went as far as to share details about her unexpected fight with cancer. She would finish her text with sentiments like, I just wanted to say I love you, and I really do miss you. The young lady did this for four years, and then something unexpected happened. Out of nowhere in 2019, the young woman received a reply. She did. Chastity received a reply from her late father figure's phone four years after her initial text. As reported by the New York Post, an elderly man named Brad texted her, quote, hi, sweetheart, I'm not your father, 
but I have been getting all of your messages for the past four years. I look forward to your morning messages and your nightly updates. He then went on to share that he himself had lost his own daughter in 2014 to a car crash. And quote, your messages have kept me alive. He next wrote, when you text me, I know it's a message from God. True story, One Fellowship. I've wanted to text you back for years, he went on, but I didn't want to break your heart. You're an extraordinary woman, and I wish my daughter would have become the woman you are today. I'm so sorry you have to go through this, but if it makes you feel any better, I'm very proud of you. Four years. The young woman, Chastity, kept texting and texting and texting, pouring out her heart, and then shockingly received a reply. Four years. Apparently, the older gentleman, Brad, had been given or assigned her late father figure's phone number, and her messages got through again and again and again, year after year after year. Friends, allow me to ask you again. Have you ever been tempted to lose heart? Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's death, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's depression or something else that has you sick to the core. Have you ever been tempted to throw in the towel? Leah, have you ever been tempted to throw in the towel, bringing this into the spiritual realm with God? Any of you? Such is what today's parable is all about. Reaching, screaming, praying. These are the actions of the primary figure from our parable this morning. We'll unpack the meaning of this parable, and then we'll share another uh, powerful story near the end of my sermon, and then I'm gonna invite you to do something very simple as we close out uh, our message. To never lose heart. Diane, to never lose heart. This brings us to our big idea this morning. Never, ever, ever stop reaching for God because God never, ever, ever stops caring for you. Never, ever, ever stop reaching for God because God never, ever, ever stops caring for you. So let's dive into God's word together. Point one, Gerald, never, ever, ever stop reaching for God. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I saw you smile when Butch read this passage, uh, Kathy, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That's when I saw you smile. (laughs) Friends, imagine the most weak, deprived, and defenseless person you've ever come across. And that's the picture of a widow in biblical times. Understood to be the most vulnerable person on the planet in ancient Israel. There's a reason we read time and time again in the Bible to provide special care and covering for widows. Exodus chapter 22, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. 
If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Deuteronomy 10, circumcise your hearts, therefore. Do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God almighty and mighty, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Isaiah 1, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the the widow. Thus, biblically speaking, the widow is a person who has deep needs in exposure or vulnerability, and yet ironically, somehow holds the Lord's heart in affection. So first, let's look at the needs and exposure of the widow. In our parable today, Jesus implores his disciples to always pray like what kind of person? Like a widow. Like a widow. And if we look at this person's specific context, from my count, there's at least four strikes against this woman. First, she's lost her husband, which means she's lost her covering and support. Second, she's been the victim of a serious crime because we see her crowd out loudly against her adversary. Third, she has no kinsmen to fight her cause. And in a male-dominated society of that day, she would have virtually had no voice or power in the court of law. And fourth, she's broke. She's absolutely broke, meaning she has no money to bribe this crooked judge. Listen, friends, all she has in the story is her tenacity to cry, to scream, and to beg for help. Got it? Four strikes. The most vulnerable and deprived person in society, a widow. Nothing to bring to the table except her heart. And what does Jesus tell us? That's enough. Ashley, that's enough. That's enough for me. No matter who you are and where you are in life, that's all you need to bring to the table, Jesus tells us. Caroline, Jack, Gerald, Jen, that's enough. If all you have is your tenacity, your persistence, your cry, your heart, that's enough, Jesus says. Pray. Cry out to me. To quote author Ann Voskamp, emptiness itself can birth the fullness of grace. Because in the emptiness, we have the opportunity to turn to God, the only begetter of grace, and there find all the fullness of joy. You know what? Here's the truth. None of us likes emptiness. None of us. The pain of loss, rejection, failure, addiction, isolation. However, from our passage today, If all we're left with is raw vulnerability and paper-thin faith, David, Jesus says, that's enough. Never, ever, ever stop reaching for me. Pray, Jesus says. This leads to point two. Why? Because God never, ever, ever, Liam, stops caring for you. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, we read, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. 
Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith or such faith as this on earth? Friends, know this. God really, really, really loves you. Frank, yes, he really cares for you and Michelle. He loves you guys. However, we're not going to miss a point here. This woman went after the judge. Did you catch that? She went after the judge. I will give her justice. Why? So she will not beat me down. Providing some color commentary here, one theologian writes, the language Paul uses is startling, because perhaps even humorous, borrowed as it is, sorry, from the boxing ring. For it invokes images of the almighty, fearless, macho judge cornered and slugged by the least powerful in society. And I just love that image. The picture of a little old granny slugging away at a bully judge, backing him into the corner. And that's the picture Jesus paints for you and for me in prayer. In fact, have you ever received a black eye? Have you ever received a black eye lately? Our son Blaze came home last week with a black eye. I said, what, what were you doing? Did you make someone upset? He said, no, we were chicken fighting uh, in the ocean. I said, bad idea. Well, friends, the specific word used in the Greek in verse 5, I'm not even going to say it or attempt to say it. It's a complicated word, but I want to show that this word is there, and it literally translates to give a black eye. That's the tenacity given for us as an example for us to pray with persistence and tenacity and boldness to God. And just to be clear, no, this level of prayer isn't to prove ourselves or awaken God from some deep eternal slumber. No, our tenacious prayers are all based on his tenacious care, his grace. Our tenacious prayers, let me repeat that, are all based on his tenacious care. Again, Leslie, God loves you. He really loves you to the end. Jenny, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Marie, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see one fellowship. God never, ever, ever, Juicy, stops caring for you and for me. And to really drive home this point, Jesus ends today's parable using a literary technique. And I'm no... I guess, classroom teacher, but some of you may have picked up on it. It's called contrasting. That's what Jesus does here. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will God not give justice to his chosen or elect? Who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he'll give them justice speedily. In other words, even if you're struggling, friends, and have hit rock bottom like a widow... You are oh so special to God who is oh so much better than a crooked judge. You, Jesus says, you are his elect. You are his chosen. You are his family. You are his kids. So why do we continue to pray? Because God continues to care for you and me, even in the darkest of days. One more note before I invite someone special on stage. This word speedily caught me up this week. He'll bring justice speedily. What is that about? Well, let's let scripture interpret scripture and look at 2 Peter chapter three. 
But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God's timing is not our timing because he's more patient than you and me out of his loving kindness so that more would come to faith in him. Thus, speedily in our context doesn't mean immediate, but swift. Meaning when Christ comes, the justice will be swift. So pulling back again, we can reach, reach, reach in prayer because he cares, cares, cares about you and me and us. Now, at this time, I've invited, I'm going to do something a little different. We're doing something a little different. I'm inviting someone to come forward and share testimony. So at this time, would you give Scott Tinkle a round of applause? So just as a means of introduction uh, of Scott, Scott serves on our board of stewards. And this week he shared a story uh, after which I, I asked him, would you, would you be okay sharing this story or testimony with our church? So Scott, in light of what you shared, have you ever been tempted to lose heart in the face of feeling helpless like this widow? Oh, yeah, quite often. And um <clears throat> Listen, reflecting on the story, I was the, the judge. I was getting pummeled. <laughs> I'm not really aware of things. My wife was here at 8 or 9 o'clock, and she's like, yes, you don't pay attention. And so uh, and I have a tendency to put humor into things when I get stressed or bad things don't go well. That doesn't always go well either. So I've had quite a few of these in my life. Mm. So tell us about the birth of your daughter and specifically, we lost something there, specifically what that experience was like sure. for you and Janet. So we got married right out of college, six months after we graduated, which I know my kids now tell me that's weird. But uh, so we're young kids. We, five years, we wait to have a, a child. And so we're 28, and our daughter Madison's born. And you're excited, you're happy, but as a first-time parent, you don't know. And I'm like, this is the greatest kid ever. She sleeps through the night. She, we, we're playing music too loud. We're running the sweeper. She, she's not phased. And Janet, she's picking up on things that something's wrong. She's just not responding. She's not talking. She's not doing these things. But I'm like, slow learner. It's going to be okay. Mm. So we get close to nine months a year, and we go to the pediatrician. Like, yeah, something's wrong here. And so we're doing different things, and they think there's a hearing issue of some type. So back in the day, so she's 29 now, so 27 years ago, you go in a little box, and they play sound, and you got to respond. And an 18-month-old's not paying attention. And they're like, there's something here. So what the solution was is we were going to give her adult hearing aids. <laughs> they were bigger than her ears. And so if you've ever tried any of these things, we had to make molds and then every morning get up. And it took one of us to put her in a headlock and the other one to put a hearing in her. And then you'd flip her over and do the same thing. So not great. wasn't good for our marriage, our relationship. And this went on because, like, well, we'll get bigger, better hearing aids. And so this, we're, I'm freaking out. Like, what is going on here? This, what is happening? We're, we're good people. Hmm. We don't smoke. We don't take drugs. We see all, I start getting all judgy. You see all these other people, 14 kids that are all perfect. You're like, what's happening here? So we, we came across an ENT, a pediatrician ENT. He's like, we need, to, we need to do something different. So we were in Indianapolis. We were doing all this at Riley Hospital. 
we went to Ryder Hospital and they did like a sleep study. And so what they would do is they would put her asleep and they would bombard her with different sounds and things and read brain waves. So we got out, we get the results, and they're like, yeah, she's profoundly deaf. And I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, she couldn't hear a jumbo jet standing in front of it. I'm like, that's pretty deaf. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know we had layers to this thing. This is crazy. Mm. So then it becomes a now what? In my mind, I'm a planner. I'm type A. I like to know what's going on. And they're like, well, she can learn sign language, and she'll get maybe an eighth-grade education. And there's this new thing called a cochlear implant. It's relatively new. FDA is just figuring it out. You know, go think about it. So we looked it up and did, and, you know, technology, the web's not around, but we said we'd like to try this, this whole um, cochlear implant thing. I've, I'm old, so I'm like, bionic woman? This is going to be awesome. You know, she's going to hear things. It's not how it worked out, but it was fun at the time. And so we go to the doctor, and they explain it to us, and that it's, hey, there's going to be an implant, and there's kind of invasive things. But the good news is, the gentleman that invented the surgery is at Ryder Hospital, which is next door. So this is where my awareness is not coming through. My guy should pay attention. That's a God thing. But there's about a six-month waiting limit to, to get in to talk to him. I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. But the CNT is like, I am best friends with his son. We went to medical school. He's a fellow for his father. Let me make a call. Within two weeks, we're f- sitting in front of the surgeon that does this. I'm like, this is crazy. Another sign, didn't pick up on it. So he goes through and explains what's going to happen. Is what will happen is with the cochlear implant, Madison's going to be able to hear environmental sounds. I don't know what this means. I said, please explain. Doorbell rings, dog barks, stuff outside. I'm like, that's as good as it's going to get. Like, well, we don't know yet. It's new technology. But what we're going to do, Sky, is we're going to take a power drill and drill a hole through a mastoid bone. And then we're going to go up in the skull and carve out a little bit of hole and put an implant in there. And then we're going to take this wire and take it through the, the hole we drilled. And it's got 22 channels like your radio, and we're going to plug it into our cochlea. It's awesome. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. This is what we're going to do to our kid. This is crazy. So, Jen, I, you know, we didn't go to church at the time. She's a credible Catholic. We, we were believers and prayed a lot, but is this what's supposed to happen? So I'm angry the whole time. Relationships aren't great. And so we go to the surgery. So we're at Riley Hospital. And you hand your two-year-old child over to the surgeon, and, and off they go. And so <laughs> Janet went her way, I went my way, and we're walking around. And then they come back, and the doctor's like, hey, went great. Did everything. It all happened. I test drove it like we're buying a car. It's kind of funny. I'm like, super. Now what? And so this is probably for me to deal with things. She came out of surgery, and her head's wrapped from like here all the way back. And that's back in the day of Saturday Night Live for those that are old like me. Head wound Harry. It was funny, I thought. I'm like, hey, head wound Harry. So that was kind of my way to deal with things. And so where do we go from here? And my mind's spinning. So like Madison comes out of the anesthesia, and she's like, let's do this. Let's roll. She's on fire. Like, let's, let's get after it. And so right at the hospital, had a glass elevator, six stories. So all night long, we're riding a glass elevator. She thought it was the greatest thing. She's waving. I hate heights. So I thought, he's a funny God. This is funny. And so she didn't want to go back to the room. So at Riley Hospital, you would take everybody had a little red wagon. That's how you get your kids around. So she's like, we're going on a parade. Well, let me, let me slow you down yeah. real quick before you get to this next point. So up to this point, I know you had a type A personality, solutions-based, fix it, fix it. And this was not something easily fixable. And so even emotionally, you have anger 
sense of sadness. You obviously cover all that up with humor. It was hard on your marriage. You've got your daughter now post-surgery. You're just trying to figure it out, be present. And lo and behold, you hate heights and you're going up and down. And you're really having a pity party at this point. And internally, you told us. So then what happens next? Yeah, my mind's spinning trying to figure out, I'm a fixer. How do I fix this? How do we make it get better? And by the way, what I didn't say is Janet was pregnant with our second through this whole thing. Had just given birth to Spencer. Mm. We don't know what's going to happen with him. There's no deafness in our family. So I'm, I'm just, it is a pity party. And so I got Madison. We're walking through the, the hospital. As I said, it's probably a bad Hallmark commercial because she's in the back waving around like we're on a Disney parade to everybody who could check out her new hair, which is a giant head wound. And I've got my head down. I'm not even paying attention. I'm walking around, and it's a big place. And I end up, I get lost. And somehow, I end up in the cancer wing, which is not a great place to be. And feeling sorry for myself. And I, I mean, I can have this crazy. It's floating right back. Like it was 25 years ago. That uh, we walk in. And, you know, they line the kids up and they're out doing that. And there's a little boy. And I, I didn't hear a voice, but it popped right in my head like, he's not going to have another birthday. She's not going to see Christmas. Uh, you'll walk your daughter down the, the aisle. Sorry. And I'm like, you know what? Good. And that voice came in my head like, are, are we good? I'm like, we're good. And that was the, the body punch, I guess, for the judge. For me, I'm like, wow. And I'm sure it happened in just seconds. And Madison's in the back like, hey, let's, we got to roll. Let's go. She wants to go parade. I'm like, here's a two-year-old going, hey, dude, we're going to be okay. Mm. And so crazy, crazy moment that uh, I'm like, all right. Now, there are still all sorts of rough things that happen and challenges and, you know, cashing in 401ks and different things. But uh, that was the one moment. It took two years. But I'm like, all right. That was a tough body blow. And then fast forward 25 years later. And uh, her, her device starts deteriorating and failing. So catch us up. So what happened next? Yeah, so there was all sorts of God moments of putting different people in our lives. I mean, a speech therapist is world-renowned. leaves in New York City to move to Indiana, which nobody ever does and wants to start a cochlear implant study. No one wants to move to Indiana? I grew up there, man. Come on, it's the motherland. It snows a lot, right? And so... Seeing these people. So 25 years, Madison is living with us here in Charleston. She's in between apartments. And she's an OG. They call her uh, for Riley. She's one of the original kids ever to have this done. And they don't know how long the implant's going to last. And it started to deteriorate. But she didn't know that. So we're going to the doctors. And she goes to MUSC. And the surgeon comes out, or the doctors, and goes, Madison Tinkle. Tinkle, not a real common name. <laughs> Did you go to Riley? She's like, yeah. So he gets his notes out. Like, you're an OG. She's like, yeah. He goes, I was in your first surgery. That's crazy. And so she's telling us this. So he goes, I'm going to do your second surgery. So he, so he's talking to us. Like, hey, and when we get in there, um, the first one was round. This one's going to be square. Now, Rich, Rich, me and Mona, the surgeon, he loved to take the bone dust and build a little ridge and set it on there. I'm going to move it over. I like my bone ridge a little different place. So he's telling us all this stuff that's going to happen because he's seen it. And so Madison goes in, do the surgery, and he comes out. He was super excited. He's like, ah, just like I thought it was. So I took some pictures and sent them to Rich. I texted it during the surgery. I'm like, what? And so he's like, yep, I knew exactly what to do. And he goes, it's the best surgery I've had. It was awesome. And showing us pictures and everything. You're like, of all the places in all the world, this guy is here. So 
it's the gift that keeps on giving. And now Madison, she'll be 29 next week. She lives in Nashville. She's director for United Way. She's having meetings with CEOs of Caterpillar and the National Predators and sent me a text last night. She got last minute front row seats to Ed Sheeran. Like, thanks, my bucket list thing. So, you know, the humans told us it could go here. We thought here, God went way beyond. I mean, we would have never guessed where it is today. And it's, it's crazy, crazy. But I, I've reflected that one moment with a little red wagon. You're like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Mm. Scott, for those in here today feeling helpless or have lost heart, what would you share with them? Hang in there. I mean, I'm not special. We're not special. We're like everybody else here. You get tough times and you hang in there and you just don't know when you're going to get the answer. And believe me, I, I didn't expect to get the answer we got. And it's, it's gotten better. And there's other times you still go like, what? Why is this happening? But hang in there. Say your prayers. It takes a village. I mean, my wife, she's the hero of the whole story. Quit her job. Two kids driving two hours one way for speech therapy, three days a week. So find your tribe. I mean, the Wooden Fellowship's a great tribe. Try it. It's good. But keep praying. Things are going to happen in a good way, but we just don't know when. And so we try and live by that. I can't imagine sitting here and doing what we're doing now, thinking back 28 years ago when it was super dark and I'm afraid of heights in a glass elevator. All right. Can we give him a round of applause? You know, Scott also shared with me uh, recently, the, the first time he ever prayed publicly for anyone was this last semester. 20 plus years in the Catholic Church, and, and here he is unveiling his story, God's story, in Madison's life. Friends, have you ever been tempted to lose heart? Maybe you're tempted to lose heart right now. Never, ever, ever stop reaching for God because he never, ever, ever stops caring for you. Don't lose heart. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of this parable of the widow and of Scott and Madison. And God, I pray that there would be more, more of these testimonies. And, and even when the prayers aren't answered in the way we see fit. We know your grace is sufficient for us, for your power is made perfect in weakness. So we might not get the right answer according to what we think is right, but you give us more grace nonetheless. And that's sufficient. So God, we turn to you and trust you afresh today. Like the widow. In Jesus' name, amen.